Guys, I just want to thank you so much uh, for family vacation. Um, it's just really cool this year's theme uh, about generations. Uh, I'm excited just because I, I feel like I'm somebody who's been here the whole time, and it's cool to see everyone that's been back um, for our college kids that are currently in campus ministry to be able to look at some of these older role models, um, but also to revive some of those passions and hearts for some of our alumni that were one in the campus ministry, um, just because you know, we leave campus ministry doesn't mean that uh, we, we're done saving and seeking and saving the lost. And so, God, I pray today we can think about that a little bit more um, in detail and uh, just uh, just speak through me and everything that we have going on, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so my lesson was titled, So the Next Generation Will Know, um, and specifically talking about evangelism and what we do um, as a church. And, you know, when, when you think about it, you know, it's kind of funny because last year, this was my topic too, was evangelism. Um, and I don't know why they keep on giving me evangelism as a topic, but uh, I guess they know I know how to meet people <laughs> or something. Uh, but when, you know, when I think about uh, evangelism, some of the things, you know, just the recap, easy for me to recap what I said last year is, you know, when you, when you think about evangelism, a lot of times we think, it's a, we think it's a gift, right? A spiritual gift. And some people are meant to evangelize. Some people are meant to do this. And some people are meant to do that. Well, when you look in the Bible, you will never find anywhere that evangelism is a gift. It's a command, which when you look in the Bible as well, commands are meant for everyone and not for specific people. And so this topic of evangelism, and a lot of churches have it backwards, is they will hire people into their churches and call them evangelists or whatever they want to give them the title as, and it's their role to populate the church. And it kind of takes some of the accountability and some of the blame off of the other people in the church and say, hey, that's not my role. Like, I, you know, I'm the worship minister. I'm the, you know, I'm, I'm the A, B, and C. They're the main evangelists in the church. Well, that's bull. You know, that's not how it works in churches. That's not how it's, at least it's not how it's supposed to. And so today we're going to kind of look through some things just on this next generation, um, kind of actually the next generation coming up, but also what we're supposed to do to reach just the next generation of our church. What's, what, our, what our church is going to look like in the next few years. Um, so to start off, you know, how many of you guys can honestly say that your faith was passed down through your, through your family, through the generations that you have, that you, you have a solid faith because of your parents did what they were supposed to do. Look, look around the room for a second, right? That's not a lot, right? Now, how many of you guys can say, if you know, if your parents' faith, if their faith was established through their parents' faith, if it's a generational thing? Keep those hands high. Look around again. All right? Two generation gaps, and there's maybe only five or six hands in the room. And I'd be surprised, to, you know, to maybe think that if we asked that question as at like a keynote or something like that, how, how less of hands we'd still have for all these campus kids that when they don't look at their parents, they don't see the things that they're supposed to see. But even, even in a more depth, if, you, if the parents look at the parents, how, how small that number would be. And it sucks, right? And it's, it's already a hard thing to think because the, the very first place that you should be getting this stuff from is in your home. You know, I'm, I'm a teacher. I have a teacher's background. And that's one of the things, once again, if you, if you work in education, the very first place that education should come from should be in the home, right? And that's where all these, all these learning things are coming into the schools and parents coming and complaining that teachers aren't doing their jobs. And the teachers are sitting here thinking like, this isn't where it's supposed to start. You don't just send your troubled kid to school and think that I'm going to fix them. You should have fixed them in the first place. You should, have, you should have set something in place at home to make sure this doesn't happen. And so first off, you know, a lot of us aren't at that age yet where we're family people yet or that we have families to set up. Um, so once, you know, to start off, this is a call to get yourselves right for you guys can start that because 
um, that's our role. You know, in Psalm 78, that was kind of the verse that I had to go through. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, it says, My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and his wonders he has done. And it goes down a little bit further. It says, So the next generation will know them, and even the children yet to be born, and in turn they'll tell their children. They'll put their trust in God and will not forget his deeds, but will keep his commands. They will be like their ancestors. They won't be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful for him. So you have one or two callings looking at this verse. You either have one calling to continue the legacy that your family has already set in place for you, or you have a second calling that you're supposed to go off and fall far from the tree and pick this thing up and start it yourselves. And those are the two callings you really need to figure out where you're at. If you have those kind of things, you know, it's great. But we're all in the same boat because, like I said from the get-go, we're all called to do the same thing. And so it may look a little different or it may be a little harder to start this depending on your, your background or your circumstances, but to be honest, it's something that we're all called to do. We're all called to pass this on to the next generation. Um, and you know, so when you look at that in your life, you know, how we're doing it, this just in this room, you know, I would say that's not very good, right? When we look at what our parents have done for us as a whole, it's not very good. Well, let's look in the world too. You know, I did some stats and I actually was at a discipleship conference this year. Um, and I kind of just stole a lot of stuff from a lesson that I heard from a lady that was talking about reaching the next generation. But, you know, like at, at a global scale, this new generation, they're called Generation Z, right? You know, there was like millennials and baby boomers and things like that. Well, if you were born from 1995 to present, this, this new generation, they're called Generation Z. And this lady, um, like I said, I just stole all her work, but she did a lot of research and she did some stats on this Generation Z. And these are some of the things, you know, if, if we want to look at this and say, well, how is the world doing at this? Or how is the nation doing at this? Um, listen to some of these things that's going on in Generation Z, okay? Generation Z is the first generation that doesn't have to ask to do something. They don't have to ask for help because of YouTube. This is the first generation that they can just get online and figure it out themselves. This is the first generation that, that claims to have more in common with their global peer than their geographical neighbor. They feel more connected to the people out there in the World Wide Web and the people online and people in these different social media circles than they do than their own neighbors, their own people that they go to school with, the, own, the, the people in their neighborhoods and things like that. A new phobia has been developed in this new generation called nomophobia. Has anybody heard of this before? What is it? You're scared to be away from your phone. And it's an actual phobia that has been created and they're actually treating this with diagnosis and they're giving medication out for these kind of things. There's this anxiety that shows up and that there's panic attacks that people will show up because they spend so much time disconnected from the local world that whenever they lose their phones or they're away from their phones, so much, it, it develops things within them. It, it, it becomes a DNA, a part of their life. Um, and it just blows my mind that they're giving medication out for that, you know, that that's where we're at right now. Generation Z is avoiding college higher than any other generation for two reasons. One is because of debt. They realize that how much debt that there's going to bring into it, but also because of all the free resources. Once again, online, you don't need to go to school if you can learn it on the, on the internet. And so this new generation, a lot of them are not going to school. Um, this, is, this is the highest need for psychiatric help. 
this is the first generation where instead of dealing with a lot of issues through scripture or through discipline or through family situations, they take them to a doctor and the doctor says, you need pills, you need meds, you need whatever this. And this is the first, this is the highest generation that there's ever been so many prescriptions and medications sent out for anxieties and ADHD and discipline behaviors and all these different things. Um, it, it's getting higher and higher the rates that these things, and you know, for, for a lot of us, I, I, sometimes I feel like an old soul because I, I don't know what it is. I, I like hanging out with the older generation, but a lot of times what I hear whenever I hear those people talking about things that are going with their kids, um, a lot of the old dads that I hear, they're saying, well, I know we'll fix that. A good old butt whooping, right? That's, that's usually what will fix the problems that they don't need pills. They need, they need a smack on the butt. Um, and that's, you know, that's the kind of world we're going into is that everything is going to get fixed by a pill. It's not going to get fixed in the home. It's going to get fixed by a doctor telling you how to fix your kids. Um, now let's look a little bit more at the spiritual things, right? One in eight say that they're not heterosexual. One in eight of Generation Z. And this one is even crazier. And this was, uh, this stat came from, uh, they specifically talked with youth ministries in this stat. One in three say that gender is defined by how you feel on the inside. One in three in this generation feel that you base your gender on how you feel on the inside, not by what was given to you or what you were born with or what the people say or what the science says. And then lastly, you know, there's this, there's this new type of, I guess it's not a religion, but they're called the nuns, right? And it's not like N-U-N, but it's N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. 34% of Generation Z doesn't claim to affiliate with any, genera- with any religion at all. They don't claim atheists. They don't claim whatever. They just don't have a thought to want to believe in anything, whether it's to not believe at all. They just define themselves as the nuns. And so when you look through these stats and you run through all these things as Generation Z, it sounds like we're not even doing a very good job as a world, you know, let alone you think about the people in a spiritual climate, in a spiritual context, now let's look at the people in the world, and it's even that much worse. So this generation that we have coming up is not, is not doing very hot. We're not doing a lot of things for them. Um, and we really have to think about what this generation is going to need and what we're going to need to be able to provide for them because this generation is going to be the suppliers of our church one day. It's going to be the ground workers. It's going to be the people that are setting the pace. And to think about that, and if that's what it looks like now, what's it going to look like in 20 years from now? Because that's the pace that we're going on. Um, and so we have to figure out what the problem is or how to reach this generation um, to make sure that we're in a place that we can do those kind of things. And there's actually a quote that I want to read um, from a book that I uh, read years ago called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And it's talking about the ideas of just there's this church that had just exploded um, and they wanted to figure out kind of what was going on and how things were growing. And this was just a little paragraph out of it. It says, um, After all, people weren't hungry for fancy sermons or organizational polish. They just wanted love. They wanted to know that God could pick them up and give them a second chance. In those early days at our church, as people drew near to the Lord, received the Spirit's fullness, and rekindled their first love for God, they naturally began to talk about it at their jobs, in their apartment buildings, at family gatherings, and soon new people started to come. And that's a challenge to me to think about what it is that we need to have to get this generation to come. Um, and I think when you boil it down to it, it's your heart. If we want to change and we want to, and we want to bring new people and we want to reach this next generation, your heart has to be right. 
There's not any scheme. There's not any big thing. Like they said, it's like not about organizational polish, and it's not about just these cool things that you can do as sermons. Um, but if you want to wonder why your church or your ministries aren't growing the way they're supposed to, you might want to ask your churches and ministries if they're loving people the way that God asked them to. Because that's really where we're at. And when you look at it as well, with people and sermons and events and things like that, if you look into your church and you look into your ministries and people are spending more time on sermons and more times on events and, and planning all these things than actually going out and meeting new people and trying to draw them in, then that may be the flaw in itself. Is we're supposed to go out and we're supposed to meet people and we're supposed to love people and we have to figure out why we're doing those things. I lost my space. Huh. Um, you know, when I think about some of my closest friends through campus ministry, I've been in campus ministry about ten years, ten years or so now. Um, actually, this is this will be the tenth. This is my tenth family vacation. Yeah, two thousand nine was my first one. Um, but I look back through the last ten years or so, um, and some of my closest friends. And uh, you know, I had a friend. His name was Devin. And uh, well, let's start with Elliot. Elliot. Um, my wife and I, when we broke up uh, for the first time, um, <laughs> uh, there was a lot of stuff going on um, in our in our relationship. Yeah, it was her fault. So it was her fault. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on <laughs> in our relationship. And, you know, somebody had just told me, you know, when we broke up that just focus on what God's asking you to do um, and you'll get over this a lot easier. You know, focus on what God's wanting to do in your life. And so I tried that. You know, I tried to go out and meet new people. And there was a friend that I had met. His name was Elliot. Um, and I met him teaching somebody else in our ministry how to go out and meet new people. And it was at this random event um, at SIUE. And uh, it was like a phone party or something. And we were, me and this guy who just, he was very socially awkward and didn't know how to talk to people. We were just kind of walking around. I was like, well, this is usually what I do. You know, I try to, I, not, I don't try to go into huge crowds because then like I'm, you know, it's, it's me against everyone. Like I try to maybe find people on the outsides or just find people that maybe I can have an easier conversation with or things like that. Like if you, if you're tactful about it, you, you know, you may have more conversations. And we saw a guy on the side and we're like, well, let's go talk to him. You know, I was like, just follow my lead, ask him a bunch of questions and things like that. And that's how I met Elliot. And from there, you know, we, we became really good friends. And um, we played uh, flag football together at SIUE. And uh, I got to study the Bible with him. He started coming around to cross chats and I baptized him, you know. And uh, after that, we soon became roommates on campus that next semester. And I just remember all the nights that we would spend together um, you know, we, we were in the same room, and we, and we lay in our beds, and we would just stare at the ceilings. And he was kind of like an earthy kind of guy. You know, he had, the, like, the long blonde hair, kind of like Ryan does a little bit. Like, he looks like he smokes weed, but, like, you know, he doesn't because he's got a relationship with God. Um, but um, that's kind of what Elliot was like, you know. And so he'd be, he'd be laying in bed, and he'd be asking us questions, being like, what do you think the meaning of life is, Jake? You know? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just trying to go to bed. <laughs> and then that's just, that was just kind of a relationship we had. But everything we did, we did together, you know. Um, and then I remember uh, his girlfriend wasn't about it as much, you know. And I still remember this day that he, he started feeling more guilty about what we were doing as a church. And he knew that what he was doing in his life didn't line up with what we were doing in our life. Um, and he started to kind of fade away a little bit. And it got to the point where, you know, he started to make his schedule. He knew my schedule, so he was in the apartment when I wasn't in the apartment. 
and whenever I was at work, he'd come home and change and get his stuff, and then he'd go stay at his girlfriend's apartment. And there was this gap where there was weeks where he just wouldn't respond to anything. And it finally came down um, to me having to, like, find his girlfriend's apartment and knock on her door and ask for him. And just to pull him out in the hallway and just be like, what's going on, man? At least just give me, give me an explanation or just give me, just give me some closure so I know what's going on. Um, and after all that time, you know, all that time we spent together, he, he was just like, I don't want it, you know. I'm just, I'm not in that place right now. Uh, and that tore me up, you know. I had tried to do something for God. I had tried to do something um, to get my life right, and it just didn't work, you know. Um, and I invested so much and poured so much into him, you know. And But that's just, that's not, that happens at times. There, you know, there's another guy, like I said, Devin, and he, he came a couple years later at SIU, and I met him actually at our Root Beer Kager, our very, one of our events that we do as a campus. Um, we did it at our church building, and I remember coming in and meeting him, and one of our girls was actually like, hey, there's that guy over there sitting at the ping pong table. Go play with him or something like that. We were playing beer pong, root beer pong. <laughs> uh, but they had me go meet him, you know, and uh, we clicked instantly, and it was like, you know, it was like an evangelistic dream because you like go over and talk to him. He was like, hey, yeah, I'm like, I'm new on campus. I don't have any friends. I'm actually looking for a church to go to. I'm, I'm a normal, natural guy, you know, like, and like everything I'm saying, I'm like, just keep talking, man. Like, this is going to be so awesome. I have so many plans for you. Like, and we literally that night, you know, when he came in, uh, we, we, we played the water pong for a while, and then we, he's like, can I look at the church? And like, we like walked in the church, every, all the lights were out and everything. I was just like, this is where we do this, and this is where we do this. And he's like, dude, this is awesome. Um, and like that night, it was so weird, because that night, like within me meeting him for an hour, I was like, you know, would you like want to study the Bible sometime, you know? And like, it, it happened that quick, and we became instant friends. Um, once again, he was a guy that I studied the Bible with, and I, I personally baptized. Um, and then afterwards that summer, you know, his, his mom had bought a house for kind of his family to kind of go through school. And uh, I had ended up living with him for a year after I graduated. And uh, we were the best of friends. You know, we had talked about him being, we were going to be best men in each other's wedding. And uh, we called our house the Banana Shack for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and we called each we called each other the Banana Brothers, and we would have we had matching shirts. Uh, he get, he made them for Christmas one year for us that I had. I it was like a, I don't know. We had shirts, and he, he print them out, and I had a I had a green one, and he had a red one, and they're like Super Mario Brothers, but he made it Super Banana Brothers. And then the little Mario guys, I still have the shirt at home. I'll I'll post it on Facebook sometime. But the little Mario characters were little bananas and, and the Mario outfits. Um, it was, it was embarrassing, but we thought it was the coolest thing because nobody had what we had, you know? Um, we had the, it was called Banana Shack. We'd have banana parties. The very first party we threw in our house, it was a banana party where everyone had to bring a bundle of bananas. And um, we literally had like 500 bananas at our house. We're making banana shakes. We're making banana splits. Like it was just, I don't know. I don't know why, but we did. Um, it was pretty awesome. Um, but that house was awesome, man. We, we did that. We would, we would have Nerf war fights where we'd climb up on the roof, and, like, when the other person would, like, pull into the driveway, like, a random Nerf dart would come over the, over the roof and just stick in the windshield. And then, you know, we'd be like, 
get out of the car real quick and like hide real fast because we had a you know we had a Nerf gun in our back seat. We just and we like we knew he, we knew one of us was like in the house something like that. Um, we did the stupidest stuff, man. Uh, if any of you guys got to see me do Gangnam Style last night, uh, I used. I used to have a partner do that with me at these kind of things. You know, we used to do that stuff together. Um, that's where I, I, I guess I got that from was we would do that stuff together. We used to have the Just Dance stuff and we would learn the stuff. And we, that was the kind of relationship we had. Um, and I keep saying we, you know, or, or I keep saying that we had because he's, he would be an alumni now, but he's not here. And it sucks because, you know, you hear all the laughing and you hear all the fun stuff because that's what happens when you meet people, you know? But then there's the heartache when they're not here anymore. Some of the closest friends I've ever had. And I could, I could sit here and talk this whole lesson about people that I've baptized personally and I've become best friends with and that it was so close that we thought we were going to be in each other's weddings and then they're not here anymore. Um, and I, I, just, I say that to challenge you. Um, to have your hearts right because I'm going to be honest if, if you don't have stories like that in ministry then you're not loving people the way that Jesus asked you to love them if you don't have heartache in this ministry you're not doing something right because this isn't a ministry of 100% success this isn't a mission that God's given us that says every single person you're going to meet is going to be easy and fun and they're going to stick around but so many times we look at ministry like it's like that like that we're going to meet every single person and they're going to want this and if not no big deal like it's okay there'll be somebody else if your heart's not invested in the people that you guys are reaching out to, then you're, then you're never going to reach those people in the first place. And we've got to get our hearts right. We've got to make sure that our heart is in it, no matter the heartache that's going to come out on the other side. And sometimes it's so hard to have to do that time and time and time again. And the older you get, the harder it is. Your first few years of ministry may be awesome because you're new, but you stick around for a little bit, you'll see what heartache looks like. You'll see what it looks like to have some of your best friends turn their backs on you and not just walk away, but persecute you on the way out. That's ministry. But that's, a, that's a small percentage of what it looked like whenever Jesus died on the cross and he had to go through that same persecution. We've got to get our hearts right. And so today what I kind of want to do is just kind of, is kind of walk through two different types of hearts we can have when we're reaching this next generation. Um, the first one's a regretful heart. And so when we look at a regretful heart, we're just going to kind of look at some of the things that it looks like and some of, some of the actions of what it would maybe look like um, so we can look at this in a practical way of getting our hearts right. But the first one's a regretful heart. And when you have a regretful heart, these are maybe some of the signs of a regretful heart, is one, you lead by emotion. Regretful hearts lead by emotion. You know, how many times have you guys stopped texting somebody who bailed on you and you just got mad at them, you know? Um, you, 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 just, you just live by how you feel. You treat people by how you feel in the moment. You know, lack of boldness. How many times have you ever, this is me, I'm guilty of this all the time. How many of you guys have ever walked into a cafeteria at school and are like, I'm going to go talk to somebody new today. And then you start feeling that, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like when you get close and you're like, okay, I'm going to go get food first. And then, all right, I'm going to come back in and I'm going to wait a little bit, you know? Um, or in that point where like, you know, once again, it's such a generation that is so into tech. There's been so many times, even this last school year, we're all sit down next to somebody. I'm like, hey, what's up? And they're like, I'm like, hey, what's up? And then I don't realize they have like those, those wireless earbuds in and they have no idea that I'm talking to them at all. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is weird. 
It's like, but it'd be even weirder if I was like, hey, buddy. Hi, how's it going? Like, but once again, it's that fear. And I'm like, in, in my heart, I'm like, this, this is difficult. You know, I don't want to do this because my emotions are telling me that this is not something natural for me or it's not something that's going to be accepting or um, I'll probably get rejected more than I will be. And so I lead, I lead my life and I lead my heart towards people by what I feel. That's a regretful heart. You're going to look back on years and regret that. Another thing is regretful hearts don't plan. You know, how many times have we said, Where's, where did the day go? You know, Netflix, you know, YouTube. Oh my gosh, YouTube. Uh, just video games, everything that, everything that we look at in our lives and we're like, hey, you know, I'll get on for an hour. I'll watch one show or whatever it is and then binge all day, right? And we, we you know, we just got off winter break and how many shows did we binge through this year, this, this semester um, and things like that. But it's not even that planning. It's not saying that you can't do those things, but here's where it comes into play is when you, when you do those things, this, once again, I've, I was guilty of this plenty of times is, you know, whenever you spend time doing something and then there's a ministry hangout or there's an opportunity to go invest in some people. Um, and since you chose to slack off, now you have to leave early because of homework. You don't get to stay late at a cross chat or a, or a guy or a guy or a girl hangout or whatever, cause you got to get home and do homework because you chose to sleep in the day, you know? church missing church because we we, had, we didn't plan the night before on how we were going to make sure we're not staying up super late or that sacrifice that needs to happen you know the church ain't going to change every sunday you know it's not hard to plan that one out that one's there every single week you know it's not something that we have to really focus on but so many times we don't plan for it or the like i said we do in our ministry we do something called cross chats on tuesday nights you know and at cross chats it we make that a night that's not about us at all that's what cross chats intend to be it's not about me it's not about the problems I got with whatever I got going on in school. It's not about my money problems. It's not about my relationship problems. It's not about homework I got to get done that day. This is a night that I need to show people that aren't in our ministry or don't know God that there's somebody out there that loves them and wants to make them a part of this, that they need to feel wanted and they want to feel loved. And everything else about me gets thrown out the door just for that four, that four or five hours that night. You know, it's about them and not about me. But for a lot of us, we can't even do that. We got to come and talk to our leaders during that time about our problems. We got to come and just be like, hey, I got to leave her. I got homework. You know, I, I'm just, I got so much stuff. I just, I got so much stuff going on. Um, but we don't plan. You're going to regret that time. You're going to regret that in your heart years down the road when you chose not to plan things out because of the opportunities that you can miss. Um, a regretful heart is selfish. You know, in Psalms 119.36, it says, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain." Is there sin going on in your life? Are there things that are going on in your life that are clouding your opportunities to meet and get in with new people? You know, God's not going to bless people in your life, and he's not going to bring you people if you're not in a place that's going to be able to bring them to something different. You know, we've, we've had that talk before, you know, with, lo- with lots of my guys. They feel guilty or they feel, you know, they're just like, I just don't get, like, why God isn't giving me numbers, you know? And it's not always because of sin. It may just be because of something else that's going on. And maybe that's not the timing, but a lot of times I'm just like, is there any sin going on? Because God's not going to redevelop something that's not even supposed to be there in the first place. And so, you know, if we've got sin in our lives, we've got to get that out. We can't hide it. You don't want to waste four years. Listen, you don't want to waste four years of your life hiding a sin and then finally dig it out and just realize you just wasted that whole, that whole college life. If you've got something you need to confess, you've got something you need to talk about, talk to somebody who can help you with that. But don't bottle it up because you're just going to feel guilt and once again regret in your heart whenever you miss all these opportunities that you have with people in your life. And the last part of a regretful heart 
is that you don't connect your friends to the cross. When you, do, when you don't connect these people to the cross, that has a regretful heart. How many of you guys have ever been caught in like the friend zone, the spiritual friend zone, you know? Where it's like, you, you know, I'm on the court and like I meet a guy and like I get his number and then I'm like, hey, you want to come over and watch, you know, the game tonight? And he's like, yeah, sure. And, you know, come over and like, this is awesome. And then like, hey, let's go get some wings this weekend. And, you know, we go get wings. And, you know, before too long, I'm like caught in the spiritual friend zone, you know, where it's like now if I ask him to study the Bible, we've already got like acquaintances. So now it's going to be awkward because like we haven't really talked about this at all in my life. So, like, now if I'm just randomly going to bring up God and they, you know, the first few weeks there was no God involved at all, they're going to be like, what the heck, you know? Um, this friend zone thing is, uh, uh, you know, once again, it's a big weakness of mine because I'd rather just invest, invest, invest in just being a friend. And then it's almost too awkward to talk about God. You know, has anybody been there with some of your relationships, you know? And so, once again, getting caught in that friend zone is really dangerous, especially for the people that you're, you're trying to reach um, because it does make it awkward uh, that maybe you're not showing them what they're signing up for whenever they're investing in a friendship with you, you know, because that's what, you know, ultimately that's why you're investing in a friendship with people is one, because you have a heart for them, but two, because you want them to see something different than they have. You want to show them that true love. But if you only give them one part of that, if you only give them that you want to be their friends because you want to be their friends and you don't give them the spiritual side of it, it kind of once again leaves a gap in what you're, what you're really calling yourself to do in the first place or what you're trying to do in the first place. And so don't get friend zoned, okay? It's terrible. It's not a good place to be. Um, you will once again regret it down the road if that's where you're at. Um, so that's the first type of heart that you can have when it comes to reaching the next generation or that, that comes to reaching people. Um, and then the second type of heart, obviously, that you'd want to have is a disciplined heart. You want to have a disciplined heart whenever you're, um, when you go through this, when you go through ministry. And a lot of these are kind of just the opposites of the regretful hearts and those points. And, you know, the first one, like we said, was a regretful heart lives by emotion, but a disciplined heart lives by the word of God. It says in Psalms 119, 10 and 11, it says, I've sought you with all of my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. You know, that whole idea of living by emotions, you know, when you have a disciplined heart and you're, and you're doing things right, you don't, you don't do things based off of how you feel you do them because it's what's right. You don't go sit with that guy or a girl because you, you feel it's, you know, you feel it's in the right setting or the right context. You do it because it's what's God, it's what's God, it's what's, it is what God is asking of you to do. Um, so everything that you do in life, you know, it's got to be disciplined that you know it's the right that you ought to do. If you know it's what you need to do, then you need to do it regardless of how you feel about it. That's what a disciplined heart looks like. A disciplined heart doesn't live off feelings. It lives off of commands. Um, you know, one of our, we, we, we had a situation um, this, a few weeks ago where, you know, one of our guys was struggling and, you know, he just didn't want anybody to come over. Um, and, he was sending out texts like crazy saying, don't come over, don't come over, don't come over. Um, but I told him, our guy said, go over there. <laughs> you know, like, go. And he's like, you don't want me to. He just said, it. I was like, just, just shut up and go. <laughs> like, just do it. Like, that's what it says. Um, and it was fighting back and forth. But, you know, he was struggling kind of with where he was at. And uh, what kind of got him thinking about just what he was doing was, you know, he said, um, if it wasn't for that guy coming over, 
you know, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done, or I don't know if I would have even had a different change of heart or a different change of mind. Um, and then looking back on that, you know, that was like an encouragement moment. Like, see what happens when you do what you want to do and not do what you want to feel? You know, like whenever you do, and, and you look at those kind of things, and that's what living by the word of God looks like in all your situations. You know, sometimes we don't want to text that person who's been shady for a few weeks because like it's awkward now. You know, don't, don't make them, this is something that we, this is a, this is a huge thing that I say in my ministry is don't make, don't make it the other, don't make it your decision to say no. Don't make it your decision to say no whenever it comes to somebody else. Make them be the ones to say no. But so many times we get in our hearts and we get in our feelings that we're like, I just don't feel like they want to study the Bible. Like, I don't feel like they're in a place yet. Or they, man, they haven't, they haven't texted me back in like two or three weeks. Like, I don't think that they're going to want to come to cross yet. And I'm like, have they said that? <laughs> you know, no. Well, then make them be the ones to say no, not you. You know, don't base it off of your feelings, but live by the Spirit. Um, Another, another trait is disciplined heart. You know, once again, plans thoughtfully. You know, they plan thoughtfully. Proverbs 21.5, it says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So we got to be planners. You know, how many of you guys are procrastinators? All right? This is college ministry. You know, everybody should be procrastinators. Um, and we, we spend a lot of time uh, not thinking about what we're going to do with our lives, right? We spend a lot of time just kind of in our own world. Um, <clears throat> but we've got to plan thoughtfully. And so when you look at your days, you know, some of you guys are planners, you know, but do we bring God into those plans? You know, if I look through my week, I obviously have an itinerary of what I'm going to do through the week. Or if I wake up in the morning, I kind of have a general idea of what I'm going to do through the day. You know, a lot of us do. We're going to go to work. We're going to go to class. We're going to go shoot hoops. We're going to go to the gym. We're going to go whatever. But have you ever thoughtfully planned God into those situations? Have you ever thoughtfully planned evangelism into those situations? It's very easy if you, if you make a routine out of it. You know, those same kind of things I just said. I'm going to go to work. Okay, I knew that. Oh, what am I going to do at work today? Who am I going to maybe try to have a conversation with today? You know, I'm going to the gym. Am I going to be looking out for new people today? Or am I going to maybe finally have that talk with somebody that's there? You know, I'm going to go to class. You know, am I going to maybe try to, you know, I'm going to maybe sit by somebody that I was really trying to, you know, talk to. Or am I going to maybe make an effort to walk out the same time in the doors as somebody else that I really want to invite to something? You know, it doesn't take a lot to plan thoughtfully in a spiritual way. It's just that we choose not to because we just put our plans over everything else. But a disciplined heart, once again, you've got to plan. You've got to plan Christ into your daily routines. You've got to bring it in and not just say, hey, my evangelism time is at cross chat or at church on Sunday or whenever my campus minister tells me that we're going to go out and do those kind of things. We're never going to grow as a church if that's what you look at as evangelism. You've got to plan thoughtfully throughout the day how you're going to meet and reach the new people. Um, you know, once again, a disciplined heart, instead of being selfish, it's selfless. It says in John 15, 13, <clears throat> greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. So you're selfless. You know, how do you show love? How do you show that this heart is for other people? Um, this, you know... It's funny, I'm reading through all these, and I'm like, this one's my biggest weakness. This one's my biggest weakness. <laughs> like, these, these are all my weaknesses. Um, because I can, I can become a very selfish evangelist. You know, that's kind of a, an oxymoron, but I can become a very selfish evangelist because a lot of times it will only be in the context of what I want to do. You know, I'll meet new guys if they're on the court with me. You know, I'll meet new guys if it's a video game that I like to play. You know, I'll meet new guys if they're, if they're in the same kind of, like, interests that I have or whatever it is 
Um, and so when it comes to evangelism, for me, I can be very selfish with, with my style or with my tact. Um, and then once again, when you look at that down the road, it may look good at first. Like you may bring some like-minded people, like worldly like-minded people with you. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they're going to realize that those relationships were conditional. They're going to see that the, there was nothing of depth or nothing of desire to reach and seek and save the loss. It was to reach and seek the save and loss only in the context of the world that I live in, not in the global world and the, and the global view of what we have going on. Um, and so the selflessness is, once again, when you evangelize, do you make it about what they do? Do you make it about things? When you ask to hang out with people, do you try to ask them to hang out for things that you interest? Or have you already had those conversations? You know, when you meet somebody and you have that first five to 10 minute conversation, you should be able to get a general idea of uh, what they like, right? The, the whole, the old Illinois, like get to know people kind of thing is you always say, hey, what's your name? And what's the very next question you ask them? Where do you go to high school, right? It's, this is a normal thing in Illinois. You know, hey, my name is so-and-so, what's your name? Okay, cool, where'd you go to high school? Okay, either you're awesome or I hate you. <laughs> you know, like, because you, you learn what conference they were in or you, you learn exactly where they're from. Um, and so immediately, that's usually what people go to. Um, and so like, you know, like I grew up in Bethalto, so if I like met anybody from like Jerseyville or, or some other school, I'm like, okay, hey, there's this guy over there. You probably need to go talk to him because like, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna deal with that guy at all. Um, but sometimes that's what we can look like. Uh, but like I said, within those first few minutes, you should very easily be able to get to know the person that you're trying to reach out to. You, I mean, like I said, that's, I just asked those general, those, those general questions at first. You know, what's your name? You know, how old are you? Where did you go to school? Did you do anything extracurricular? And by that time, you should be able to find, do you play any sports? No, okay, do you like music? Okay, what do you do for free time? You know, I work on cars. All right, well, then I got people in my head that I know that will be able to help out those situations. Or maybe I'll look and maybe if there's a car show coming into town or there's some, you know, any random thing that I can think of. Like I said, I use cars. I don't know a thing about cars. I got a couple friends that know some things about cars. I don't know anything about cars. I don't know anything about music. I, I, I play Guitar Hero. You know, like, that's about, that's about the furthest that I'll go. And that's usually what I say when people are like, you know, I'm like, cool, man. Like, my wife's on the worship ministry, but I play Guitar Hero, so I guess we're kind of cool in the music world. You know, like, I don't, I don't know. Um, but if I try hard enough, I can find a connection with somebody and that may mean that it makes me go out of my comfort zone to go do what they like. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you're gonna, if you discipline your heart like that, you're going to be grateful that you made those connections. You're going to be grateful that you did those things. Um, as most of you know, like once again, like I can't dance. Like it's, it's not a thing about me, but I was, I was getting pretty crazy on the dance floor last night, you know? Um, a <laughs> lot, lot of people were taking some Snapchats of me last night and posting them up. So... Um, but I do that for a couple of reasons. One, because we have the coolest campus ministry, you know, and uh, I just got to show up, you know. But also, uh, I do that because it's not natural for me. It's not something that I, it's not something that I was like grown up, you know, I, I watched a lot of Michael Jackson videos growing up, obviously. But um, it's not something that like is natural for me to want to do. But I know that it, it, brings, it brings life together. It brings enjoyment. It brings memories. It brings things that I'm not going to regret. It's, I'm not going to regret, you know, versus me going back to my hotel room at 1030 last night and going straight to bed. I'm not going to regret that because I chose to go out and do things out of my comfort zone to draw me closer to the people that God's already put in my life. 
And so sometimes whenever we have hangouts or we have friends or we do things like that and it comes to something that we don't want to do, don't back out of it. Choose to engage even more because that's going to show more love to those people that you're trying to reach out to than it is you just doing your normal thing. People know when you're out of your comfort zone. People can tell when I dance that I'm not usually a dancer. Like they, pe People will know when you're out of your comfort zone. And that's when the real love shows. That's when the real heart shows. It's like, okay, this isn't normal for me, but I want you to know that I'm willing to do this if this means that it's going to bring our friendship a lot closer. So we have to have a selfless heart. And then lastly in that part, you know, the discipline, they don't connect people across. That last part is to, be, to have a disciplined heart, you have to speak the truth. You have to speak the truth into your friends or the people that you're, that you're meeting. This is 1 John 3, 18. It says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You know, you all have friends right now. I know you're thinking about them right now. People back on your campuses or back in your jobs or back or wherever. You have friends right now that there's something that you want to say to them about God. That there's some kind of truth that's just been on your heart to invite them to something, to say something, to be bold, just to go out of your way. That's what a disciplined heart needs. It needs people that are going to willing to say that truth. And, you know, write those names down if you, if you have them in your head. Because I want, you, I want to challenge you to go home and say something when you guys get back home to those people. There's somebody in your gym, somebody, in, and you're just like, hey, man, like, I just, I've been wanting to say this for a while. But I'm, I'm just glad that we're getting a lot, a lot closer. And, you know, it would be cool if you, if, you know, we have church on Sundays or, you know, we have a campus ministry hangout that we, we're doing this week. Like, I just wanted to invite you because I've been thinking this for a while. I just haven't said anything. You know, be humble about it. But speak the truth instead of waiting around for somebody else maybe to be that steward that God has entrusted to you. You know, one of the biggest things that we always say when somebody gets baptized um, into Christ and they, and they choose to commit themselves to Christ is, you know, it's you add something new to the kingdom of God and you add something new to the ministry that you're in that nobody else can bring, right? But also... You, you, you've been brought into something that you have a, a new area that you can tap into that none of us have access to. Your job, your classes that you're in, your family life, the, the the, your social networking is a whole new world that's going to be able to be tapped into for God. I can't get in there because it's not my world. It's not me. So when it comes to speaking the truth, you can't wait around for somebody in your life to speak the truth because that's your responsibility. That's your job to go into those places and say those things because God has sent you not waiting for you to wait for somebody else to do one of those things. And so we've got to speak truth. And like I said, you know, when we think about hearts, it's one of the two. You know, a lot of times we have the mixed side where we have the good moments, but we also have the regretful moments. We're never going to be perfect. But if you, really want to, if you really want to do ministry the right way, you're going to want to do it not looking down the road 20, 30, 40 years and regret everything that you had done with your life because this next generation that comes in is either going to kill our churches or they're going to make our churches explode. There's going to be so many cool things that can happen. Um, you know, uh, if you're not in campus ministry alumni, you know, you're not off the hook either. You know, I have some practical things for you guys too uh, because they're... There's a huge gap when it comes to student ministries and adult ministries in our churches. A huge gap. Um, and we've got to learn how to bridge those gaps because it's, a church isn't going to function well unless everything's well-oiled and it's working, it's, it's doing everything together. Um, 
and so, you know, alumni, there's just, you know, three things real fast, three gifts I think that you guys can aid in helping that, that next generation reach the next generation. You know, um, I'm not asking you guys to go up into the college ministry or go into the high schools or whatever. Like, that's not, I don't believe that's where God has really asked us to, to step in. But I do believe that God has put us in situations that we can aid that generation in our church to reach the next generation. And so there's three gifts, like I said. One is a gift of place. You can give them a place to belong. This generation has access to everywhere, right? They have access to anything they want on this earth but they belong nowhere. They have nowhere to call home. They don't have a sense of belonging and a sense of love. But alumni, you guys have an awesome opportunity to be able to provide that for them. You know, college ministries and student ministries, we don't have a lot of houses, you know? We don't have large incomes. We don't have extra meals. We don't have those kind of luxuries in our lives. Um, but you do, <laughs> you know, like, or at least you can, especially if you've got a lot of kids. Like, you know how to cook cheap. <laughs> you know, like, you know how to get it done. And so to give this generation a gift of place, a gift of belonging. You know, Danny is one of the greatest people at that because Danny is like the, the, the before baby boomers, baby boomers, baby boomers. Like Danny's up there, you know? And so Danny's reaching down to his great, great grandchildren uh, still. And uh, he does a great job of it, you know? He, he provides a home, he provides a place, and he provides those conversations um, where he can help that next generation reach the next generation. He may not be the people... He may not be the guy in the water baptizing a lot of people, but he sure is setting, he's setting the pace for that. He's opening the door for that. He's opening the door for those conversations, for those hangouts, for those sleepovers, for the whatever it is. Um, we need more adults that can do that kind of stuff. We need more alumni that are going to step in and say, I remember what it was like in college ministry, and I need to make sure that my doors are open just like the doors are open for me uh, whenever I was there. We can do that. Also, we can give a gift of perspective. We have an awesome opportunity to give perspective to this new, this new generation. They have all the energy in the world, right? As I'm getting older, man, I'm getting a lot tired. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I'm beat. You know, this has been a long weekend. But, you know, when I was 18 or 19 in my first vacation, I was like, I'm not sleeping. We're on the beach. Like, we're just going to go out and do everything else all night. And it was like, you sleep when you're dead, right? That was what we used to say. And I'm like, well, I'm dead. So I'm ready to go to sleep. <laughs> like, we're getting we're getting older and we don't have that energy like we used to. And we don't have a lot of those resources. We don't have the, the, you know, our responsibilities with kids and with jobs and things like that. We don't get to have that luxury that we used to have all this freedom and energy to go out and do stuff. Well, they do, you know, and you have an awesome opportunity. Like I said, they can row the boats. We just got to point them in the right direction because they don't know where they're going. But we have the perspective. We have the insight and we have the opportunity to have those conversations to give them perspective and insight on what's going on. Give them the perspective that, they, that they're yearning for. And then lastly, um, we can give them permission. You know, so many times as an older generation, we just want to shut out the younger generation when they don't listen or when, they don't when, they, when we feel like they don't belong or they don't agree. But we've got to give permission. We've got to give permission to ask the hard questions. You know, like I said, one of eight don't, don't consider themselves heterosexual. One of three talk about those, the, the gender identity and things like that. What better place for them to be able to ask those questions than in a church? What better place to have good conversations, whether they agree or not? What, what better place for that to be kickstarted within a church setting, within a ministry setting? 
But so many times we want to close our doors as a church or we want to look at our, our older generation and be like, that's just, that's too much sin for me. <laughs> like, that's just, I, I'm not, I don't know anything about this generation. I don't know, you know, you're all selfish and entitled and, you know, they might be, but like we still have a, we still have a role to help with those kind of things. But we close the door so many times. And so let them ask the hard questions. Let them doubt. Let them be able to doubt in front of you and don't just shut them up real fast with a, with a, with a Bible verse. But let them be able to doubt things, hear their hearts, hear their feelings, hear where they're at. Because doubt doesn't kill faith. Silence does. When you choose to not say anything and you choose to just let them stay quiet and, and fester in their thoughts, that's what's going to kill their faith. But let them doubt. Let them come to you. Let them ask the hard questions. Let them be able to do things. Don't, don't control everything. Let them fail. Let them be okay with failing. Just be there to pick them up when they do. Don't, kind of, don't, don't, don't control their lives. They need to learn. So that means they're going to have to fail. But be there. Be, be the moms and dads and the older brothers and sisters that they don't have when they go home. Because you can be that as a church. So alumni, you have some work to do too. There's lots of things that we can do to help this next generation prosper and grow with our churches. Um, I'm going to close out on this. Uh, once again, this is something that I'm kind of stealing from something I heard later th earlier this year in Tennessee. But um, I'm not a very good snapper, but I want everybody to kind of snap on pace with me, all right? If you guys can do the two snaps, all right? Keep that snap going, all right? I'm going to give you guys some stats, okay? 55.3 million a year. That comes down to 151,600 a day. 6,316 per hour and then it boils down to two per second you know what stat that is that's how many people are dying two a second on this earth are dying so every time you snap that's somebody passing away all right you can stop that's urgency isn't it that brings some urgency Think about all the time you have here on earth. Think about all the things you do and you hear that snap. And every time you snap, that should, one, bring some conviction in what you do in your free time, but also some urgency that we've got to help out and we've got to do something and not make it about an evangelist in our church or somebody else. We don't have enough numbers to sit here and let somebody else do this. This is our responsibility. This is our time and this is our role to make sure this doesn't happen. Now think about this. I want the claps, all right? I can't clap this fast, but four claps a second. All right? Here's another stat. 131 million a year, 360,000 a day, 15,000 an hour, comes down to four per second. You know what that is? That's how many people are being born on this earth. You can stop for a second. So while you have this call for urgency and conviction, we also have to understand that there's a whole new generation coming up and they're bigger and they're larger and they're in more numbers than anything we've ever seen. And so once again, as a church, as a whole, as, as a community, we have this huge call to feel convicted and to feel urgent about what we're missing out on with this older generation. But we also have this awesome opportunity on the other side of it. 
that they don't know what's coming. But we have an awesome opportunity. But once again, it comes down to your heart and what you really want to do while you're here on this earth. What you really want to say to God whenever you go in front of him one day to say, you know, I remembered those snaps and I remembered those claps. And I didn't waste a lot of time on anything else on that earth, but, but those snaps and claps. I had to make sure that I was in my role doing what I needed to do. And that's what we need to think about. That's what this whole retreat's about is to get us focused on what we need to do, what we need to do when we get back home. And I really do hope that you guys will take that to heart and you guys will look at your hearts and figure out if it really is for people. If you don't have those emotions, those feelings, if you guys don't have those kind of things going on in your life, look at your heart and evaluate your life. And just, you know, what are you doing? And if, if you need to have those conversations with some people here, you know, talk to some of your leaders, get some insight, get some advice, get some get some more practical things on how that can look in your church or in your ministry or your small groups when you get home. But we got work to do. And I'm excited about that, you know? It's really cool to think. It would be awesome to have, you know, we, we barely fit here. You know, it's, it's hard enough to fit here as it is, but think about what it's going to look like next year when our alumni aren't back, but we're flooded with even more people than we had before. We have a lot and a lot and a lot of work to do, but it's going to go on the rest of our lives. Those claps and those snaps, they're not going to end when you leave here. That's, that's gonna, it's probably going to actually increase as we get older. There's probably going to be more and more people on this earth as we get older. So we're busy, busy, busy. Um, and I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. And I just hope that we can get our hearts in the right place, that we are making it easier and easier and easier to reach that next generation. All right, let's pray. Um, God, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, just for your, your insight, you know, in the word, you know, in Psalm 78, you know, it's, it's really cool to have that commitment, to know that the next generation will know that it's going to be our role um, to do that. You know, I would have never thought, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, you know, in an unchurched home with no vision or no purpose for my life, that this was going to be my calling um, and that it was going to be a lifelong calling and not just for a few years of ministry or a few years in college, but God, you just, you keep sending people into my life. Um, sometimes I have to go out and find them, but ultimately I'm surrounded by people. And uh, I just pray, God, that you can just really work on my heart and make sure that I have the right kind of heart for these people. Um, I got to have them the right kind of heart. If you want, if you want them, uh, you're going to need me to be what I need to be. And I pray that the people in this room can realize that as well, that, you know, we don't seek and save on our behalf, so we seek and save on your behalf. So just teach us and show us what that should look like in our hearts, um, and then on our campuses, in our churches, Lord. Just in our pray. Amen.